0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm the host of this eight time a week daily NFL podcast. I'm not kidding. We do eight shows a week, including a Thursday night preview show for every Thursday night uh, episode. You can go, if you got DFS fantasy questions, go check out, um, yesterday, no, this morning's podcast with Heath Cummings and I. We broke down, uh, actually, we did, it was, it was pretty cool. We did a bunch of, uh, game theory about how to handle your DFS lineups. I know people have questions about that on the Facebook group. You can join that Facebook group, go to Facebook.com, search Pick Six Podcast. It's a private Facebook group. I'm going to go in as soon as I get done with this podcast. I don't want to mow my lawn. I don't want to deal with all the yard work I got to do. So I'm going to go in and answer fantasy questions. Uh, and get back on the horse on that. Apologies if you've asked him and I haven't jumped in there. Just been a little busy at the at the old Brinson ranch. Joining me to talk about the Rams and Seahawks as he uh what well, he doesn't do Talk about Rams Seahawks every Thursday, but to talk about Rams Seahawks, my pal Jared Dubin, what's up, bud?
1: How's it like, going, oh, man? I listened to you and Heath this morning. I can't believe he plays 150 DFS lineups every week. That seems insane.
0: Yeah. So, like, do you play DFS at all?
1: On occasion, like yeah. when I got the uh the free uh whatever it was, ten dollars from Yahoo before yeah. the start of the season, I actually won in Week One. So I've been playing the rest of the season since then.
0: Like so. you probably do it like me. You open up the app and you like mess around and put in lineups and all that, right? Like, some yes. some of, these, some of these, So like, I think what Heath does and what the, the the pros or the people who do a ton of DFS they create Excel spreadsheets and then import them into um, into DraftKings or FanDuel. That's how many that's how many lineups they have going. I can't. I don't have time for that.
1: That seems like probably the better strategy. Like I bet he wins sure. more often than we do. Yes, yes, of <laughs> course.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm like up like, I'm like, it's Friday night. I'm like, oh, I'm going to drink a bunch of wine and, uh, play, like make some DFS picks. And I looked at him on Sunday morning. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm a chalk monster. I've got all these like public, like I'm like Daniel Jones and, and uh, anyway, um, you can play the showdown too. You can play showdowns. It's a single game, uh, DFS. I suck at those. You got to pick a captain. So like if you had to pick one player to score the most fantasy points in Ramsey Hawks, who would it be? Um bearing in mind that like, you know, you gotta you're trying to you know
1: you're trying to figure out a, like you wanna supposed to, to be like a guy that not everybody's gonna take, I guess. It just needs to be the highest scoring guy, I think.
0: Is you know what I mean? Like
1: like if okay, you it's probably gonna be, take Cooper Cup.
0: Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Like most people are gonna take Wilson or Goff, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean Goff. well I mean golf is probably gonna get picked like seventeen times again. Yeah. Um the dude just cannot stop. Pick let's, let's talk and about that.
0: we don't need to talk about that. Let's <laughs> dive into that um, currently to win the division right now um, and by the way this is a good thursday night matchup this is a, yeah it's fun man yeah this is a good thursday night matchup um, rams are 11 to 10 meaning slightly over uh one you know plus, you're getting plus money but not by much the 49ers are actually 2 to 1 and uh the seahawks are 12 to 5 what the Seahawks are, I mean, I understand the 49ers are undefeated and the 49ers look good, but the Rams, I haven't been that impressed by the Rams, Dubin. And, um, you know, the Seahawks are, you know, it's not like the Seahawks are bad. They are currently three and one. Are you confused by those odds at all?
1: Um, a little bit, like not too confused, I guess. Um, the Niners are undefeated. Obviously they played one fewer game than the other two teams, but they're both, the other two teams, they're both three and one. It's not like either of these teams has been bad. And I think the Rams looking the way they've looked and still ending up three and one, like the defense looked very, very good the first three weeks of the season and then looked like atrocious last week. The offense has really not looked good basically at all. Um, and they're still three and one. It seems like they should have pretty good odds. Like I don't know that I would create much separation in the odds between those three teams in terms of who would win the division right now, just because I don't think like, I think the Niners have looked good so far, but I'm not sure I trust um, their offense as much as I trust either of the other two offenses. And I'm curious to see how their defense holds up as they start playing better teams.
0: I would also point out too, that um, it's possible. And I, I I'm going to steal a line. I heard Dave Damishak or uh, uh, Henry Hogson on NFL, on the Damoshek football program very good podcast you should check out as well uh use but maybe that september is the new august because and i looked this up i was just kind of going through it last year i was trying to find the standings after week four like all right how how different was the end of the season relative to week four like do we think because we think we know a lot of stuff right now right like we're like all right this is you know like, all right, the 49ers are legit the buccaneers are legit you know like but The Dolphins were three and one last year after four weeks and they Mm -hmm. had just gotten throttled by the Patriots who were two and two. This, at this point last season, in reality, in real life, the Dolphins were leading the AFC East by one game over the New England (laughs) Patriots. And obviously it didn't end that way. The Patriots won the Super Bowl and the Dolphins were terrible and fired everybody and decided to blow the whole thing up. So, I mean, do you, do you think that is there, is it possible we're overreacting to what we're seeing? from the NFC West uh, and forgetting the lessons that the first four weeks might not matter. Yes. Mm, I like it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, let's um, – and, like, like, I think the Rams' defense might not be good.
1: Yeah. Uh, last week was very concerning to me in terms of the way their defense looked. It seemed like if Aaron Donald doesn't completely take over the game, which, let's be honest, he does more often than not – but if he doesn't, I think you can throw on them pretty easily. Uh, the, the, Peters, the, Buccaneers,
0: the Buccaneers had a great plan for Aaron Donald. Like they would chip him with backs and they would have they would have like one offensive line hit him and an uh, offensive lineman hit him and then have another roll in and get him just to keep him. And uh, I was talking with Pete Prisco about this. Pete pointed out that he looked frustrated at the end of the game and, and understandably. He didn't have an impact at all.
1: Yeah, I mean. Granted, I would say that most teams try to at least chip him or double him on almost every play. It's a matter of actually being able to execute that and get those chips or doubles there before he's able to break through, um, you know, the center and the guard or the guard and the tackle or wherever he ends up uh, lining up. It's um, it's easier said than done, obviously. Uh, I think the Bucks did a really good job of executing the plan, and if you can do that. I think you can throw on these guys. Like Marcus Peters looked very bad. He obviously was only beaten really in coverage one time, but he was toasted on that 67 yard touchdown, uh, by Mike Williams. Nikkel Roby Coleman got beat for a touchdown. Uh, Akeem Tlaib got beat for two touchdowns. The linebackers and safeties, I don't believe forced one incompletion all game.
0: Yikes. Um,
1: yeah, it was, uh, it was bad. I think if you can get protection, but basically if you could just keep Donald from completely ruining the game, I think that you can throw on this team um do you think that
0: Brian Schottenheimer will throw on this team because <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well i mean like the the weird thing about the seahawks thus far is that you know we've really seen this this team i mean russell wilson has 20 20, 20 attempts in his first game against the cincinnati bengals 35 against the steelers 50 attempts against the saints and 28 Against the Cardinals, and if the Cardinals had been able to do anything on offense other than muster you know, 10, seven points in garbage time uh, to, to lose 27,10, I think Russell would have thrown
1: a lot more. Um, so I think it's notable that last week they actually threw the ball early in the game and that enabled them to go to their, you know, establish the run offense that they like to go later. You know, like we talked about, uh, I think it was last week when we were talking about the, uh, the Packers Eagles game, we suggested to Matt LaFleur,
0: we nailed it. Oh my God, we nailed it.
1: Establish the pass. Yes. uh, And, But uh, but he did it, but
0: he did it early. He established the pass early. And then as soon as I like, get worked, he's like, well, that was great. Let's go away from it. I mean, yeah. like, do you think we'll see that from Schottenheimer where they try to throw early on this defense, protect up front against Aaron Donald, let Russell Wilson make some quick throws,
1: and then hopefully get a lead and then try to run it? Do you, do you think that'll be the approach? I think it should be the approach, but I don't know that I trust Schottenheimer to do that two weeks in a row, and I don't know that I trust Pete Carroll to do that two weeks in a row. He's very much the guy that wants to be part of the you know quote unquote established the run you know type of team, and um, and I think that that's a reason why Schottenheimer is the offensive coordinator. It's because Pete Carroll wants to play that way, and he knows that Schottenheimer does too, and um, it worked well last week against Arizona. Uh, Arizona's pass defense is completely atrocious and you can throw on them basically at will whenever you want to whoever you want. And I think they came out that way last week because of that. I don't know necessarily that they'll do the same thing um, against the ramps. Mm. Uh,
0: it shows according to, uh, I think I'm reading this right. So I hope I'm not doing this wrong. Sharp football stats, Warren Sharp's football stats. Always, It doesn't confuse me. It's just there's a lot
1: going on. Yeah, uh, they have short football stats and now they have short football analysis too. He has two, he has two so, websites. Yeah. But,
0: but like looking at, um, first down rate for the, uh, Seahawks, it looks like their, uh, their first down success rate is 34% on the pass and 23% on the run. So maybe, I don't know, past the sleeping ball.
1: Um, Neither one of those is very good, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to double-check, maybe check with our stats and research department. feel like 34 is better than 23.
0: <laughs> I want to do some quick math and make sure that. The other thing that I think is interesting, too, is that the Seahawks could come out and line up in jumbo sets, right, mm. and do play action out of the gate without even running the ball. And I think it would work really well. First, A, you get Russell Wilson on a bootleg, uh, which gets him away from Aaron Donald in theory. You double-team Aaron Donald. B... Tyler Lockett is a major mismatch for Marcus Peterson to keep Tlaib. Like, those guys do really well against physical, taller, wide receivers. And I thought they would, they, they, they did a good job bodying Mike Evans. Um, you know, Mike Evans was fairly limited until one garbage time touchdown catch. Uh, Chris Godwin's the guy who lit him up. I mean, Tyler Lockett should be exploited in this matchup,
1: right? Yeah, I agree with that. I think especially if he's, um, if he's matched up with Tlaib, who, Tlaib is a very good corner, but, for the most part is better against, like you said, bigger, more physical guys. Shorter guys like Lockett that have those change of direction skills, like, they're just always going to be able to get in and out of breaks better than a guy like lead because he's just taller. It's easier sure. for small guys to get in and out of breaks. This is why, you know, for example, Richard Sherman, obviously who used to be on the Seahawks, yep. this is why he struggled with guys like Julian Edelman if he was matched up on them back in the day. Edelman is just so much quicker to get out of his brakes because he's lower to the ground. And it's easier for a guy like that to, you know, throttle down and change direction. It's the same thing with Tlaib. I think Lockett, you know, obviously he has a speed advantage over basically everyone. Um, he doesn't have as much of a speed advantage. I think when he's in the slot against Roby Coleman, as he does on the outside against Tlaib or even against Peters. Um, but I think he should be able to get open. And, you know, you mentioned the jumbo, like to me, Every single play at a jumbo should be a play action. If you're going jumbo yeah. and running, you're doing it wrong. Right, and like I would almost posit that to Tlaib
0: would. This <laughs> sounds insane. I, I mean, maybe it's wrong, but to Tlaib would rather deal with Julio Jones than Tyler Lockett. <laughs> like, just, I mean, maybe maybe not. I Julio is a freak of nature, but maybe the better example is like Mike Evans versus Tyler Lockett.
1: You know what I mean? I mean? I think if they had their choice, uh they would have him matched up on DK Metcalf all game when he's out there than there than on Tyler Lockett. Yeah. What have you thought about DK
0: Metcalf so far in this offense? I, I've actually been surprised at how uh, adept he's been at maybe doing the things we didn't think he could do, like uh, making some really nice catches on comeback routes, et cetera, et cetera. He's, I mean, he's been a, a steal relative to where they got him, but how do you think he compares
1: to the other rookie wide receivers in this class? Yeah. I think that the way they're using him is smart. He's not playing on an every-snap basis, but the way they're using him is he's out there whenever they're in the red zone, and he's out there when they want to get him on a deep ball. They have him. I saw this stat. Uh, I think it was at Roto World from Ian Harditz. He's lining up like 97% of the time on the left side of the field which is basically all that he did when he was in college at Ole Miss. And almost all of his routes are you know, streaks, fades, goes, comebacks, deep outs, deep curls. It's it's all testing guys deep down the field and maybe a break off of that route. And it's not really double moves or anything like that. They're letting him use his speed, use his size, use his athleticism in the red zone and on deep shots. And he has the most tied for the most end zone targets in the entire league so far. And, uh, I think he's got a couple touchdowns, maybe three touchdowns. Um, so he's done well. And I think it's because they're putting him in position to succeed.
0: Yeah. Uh, he currently has one touchdown. That's one it. touchdown. Yeah. But he might have had uh, two in the, two in the preseason. I was about to say, if he had three touchdowns, I feel like I knew that. Uh, but I mean, he has 223 yards. He's leading the NFL in yards per reception
1: at 20. I think last week was the first time he didn't get over like 50 yards receiving in a game. So that was, you know, you saw the downside there, but before that, he had had at least a couple catches and gotten at least one downfield pass per game um and he got in the end zone too. So
0: Yeah. Um and yeah, last yeah, last week I think too was sort of a, a like you said establish the run. So he had 78% of the snaps in week 1, 88 week 2, 84 week 3 and they're just 63 in week 4. Which leads me to believe that it was more of a, hey, we're going single, single wide receiver. We are melting this clock. Kyler Murray can't do crap against our offense. Um, yeah,
1: or even like we're gonna have Jerron Brown and uh, David Moore out there because just because they might be more solid in blocking.
0: Or, or like, hey, like let's not let Tyler and, and DK get hurt.
1: You know, <laughs> like this game is
0: out of hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, what, what do you think about the running game? Chris Carson, three fumbles in his first three games. Won each game. Really, his job was on the line. Were it not for a Rashad Penny hamstring, I think Penny would have actually taken over that job. Uh, Carson comes out last week against Arizona, ran like a man who knew he was about to lose his job. Looked awesome. How do you think they uh, divvy up the, the carries here? I I don't know. I don't know if Penny's going to play, and I, we don't we won't know that until close to the game time. Um, they said Pete Carroll said this week that Penny was close to playing Sunday against Arizona, but with a short week. It's a huge game, so they think they want him out there, but they might not be willing to risk his hamstring injury on, on that short week. What do you th- How do you think they handle that running back situation and splitting up carries?
1: I think Penny will be out there. He was completely taken off of the injury report okay, on Wednesday. I'm, that, I'm an
0: idiot. Okay. Penny will be out there.
1: Yeah. That to me is a sign that he's probably going to play. I don't know that he's going to get a ton of work. I think he'll probably get, you know, the kind of work that, um, that CJ process was getting the last couple of weeks. I don't know that I agree that Carson would have lost the job if Penny was healthy these last couple of weeks.
0: Not I not mean, lost Pete, the job totally. Sorry. I just think it would have been moved to a serious timeshare.
1: Yeah, it just seems like Pete Carroll just loves Chris Carson and even after those three fumbles he was like, this is our guy, you're going to see that. We're going to give him the ball. We believe in him. We trust him. Even during those fumble issues in the first three weeks of the season, he got 15 carries in all three games. And He got 22 carries last week. He was involved in the passing game a little bit more than he had been since week one. I think he's still going to be the guy that they give the ball to. They clearly like the style that he runs with, and I think you saw last week he was unbelievable against the Cardinals. He was getting hit in the backfield, honestly, more often than not, and he still wound up averaging 4.7 yards a carry. Uh, Sports Info Solutions tweeted this out during the week. He broke 21 total tackles in the game. 18 on the run and three on the pass. That's the most broken tackles in a single game. Sports Info solutions has ever tracked.
0: I don't want to question our friends at SIS who are partners of, I think we partner, we don't know if we partner with them, but we, we use them. We have access to it. Uh, I was told, and I'm not going to say who told me, but that a different analytics site uh, tracked him at significantly less tackles broken. Just throwing that out there.
1: Like, yeah, I saw like, that. Like, thir- uh, like 13 or something. Yeah, I saw that as well. Um either way he was breaking a whole bunch of tackles. But uh, well, yeah, he right, right, right. he had a great game. I mean, I think yeah. he brought, yeah, yeah. So he ran um, really really well and um in exactly the way that they would like to see him run well. Um, you know, getting the yards that are there and then making the yards after contact, which he had not really done through the first 3 weeks of the season. It seemed like they really figured out how to get going there late in the game especially
0: uh and also huge for the for the Seahawks Dwayne Brown, Mike Upati, and Ethan Posick uh were all full practice. Uh Posick and uh Brown listed as questionable for the game, but again all three guys practice in full on on Wednesday. So that's very big for a Thursday game. Uh keep an eye on those injury reports it matters for DFS for gambling for all of that. Uh, let's take a quick break when we come back dudes, and I'll break down the Rams offense. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived.
1: Chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert half our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting technology, marketing, and creative legal and administrative and customer support at Robert half. We know talent visit Robert today.
0: All right. So we talked about the Seahawks offense. They're going to run it. Maybe they'll throw a first down once or twice during this game. Um, The Rams offense, I think, Dubbs is perhaps the most—I don't want to say confusing, but it's like it's it's the it's one of the big mysteries of the NFL in 2019. The Rams are are three and one. Uh, They are running the ball pretty effectively. Not—I mean, not blowing anybody away with their efficiency, but they're running it pretty effectively. Jared Goff has big numbers, but has been terrible. Todd Gurley's touches are reduced, and it seems like for whatever reason. Bill Belichick is the guy who gave the league the blueprint for, Hey, put more guys in the box on the outside, outside zone run and everybody's doing it, which they should have. How did nobody figure that out before? Like, I don't know. What what do you make of this Rams offense?
1: So I would, I would say, um, Matt Patricia was the guy that figured that out first. He was the guy that brought that, that 6-1 front against them That's last point. year in, um, the game. So right after they had played that ridiculous shootout against the Chiefs in like the best game of the season last year where they both hung 50 points, the, the Rams were on a bye the week after that and the next week they came out and played the Lions and the Lions debuted that 6-1 front, took away the outside zone runs, just did not react at all to, to any play action or any motion and just sort of sat in a soft zone and was like, Hey, Jared Goff, throw eight yard curls all game and see if you can beat us. And he didn't do it. You know, the following week, the Eagles did the same thing. Then the Bears did the same thing. And then the Patriots ramped it up even more in the Super Bowl. And that's basically the defense teams have played against them all season so far this year. And look to me, I don't, I don't think Goff has been very good, obviously, but I don't think he's necessarily the biggest issue for them so far. If you look at his numbers last year, he completed 64.9% of his passes. This year, he's at 64.2%. The issue is his yards per attempt is down from 8.4 to 7.2. His touchdown rate is down from 5.7 to 3.5. And his interception rate is spiked from 2.1 to 3.5. And that 3.5 is actually worse than what it was during his rookie season that got Jeff Fisher fired. But all of that basically is due to the fact that the offensive line has just been terrible. It's gone from one of the handful of best pass-blocking offensive lines in the league to the second worst pass-blocking offensive line in the league ahead of only the Dolphins. Last year, he was pressured on 32% of his dropbacks. Mm -hmm. This year, it's all the way up at 43%. And his, his passer rating under pressure is actually better this year than it was last year. It's just that he's under pressure so much more often and... Yeah, like when you're, when you're under pressure on almost half your attempts and you're a quarterback that struggles against pressure, that's going to drag your numbers down. That's going to ruin essentially the entire offense. But it's not just a pass blocking where that, that offensive line has been bad either. Their run blocking offensive line is really bad also. They are dead last in run blocking at pro football focus so far. What? Uh, yeah, in run blocking at pro football focus and then Joseph Noboom, Austin Blythe, and Jamil Denby, they're three guards that have played so far this season out of 169 offensive linemen that have played at least 100 snaps this season. Those guys rank 157th, 163rd, and 169th in run blocking out of 169 players.
0: Okay. So Hey, just I mean I am curious, how do you um cuz the Rams are 7th at football outsiders in terms of adjusted line yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, so and I'm just year, I'm just curious about like the how you would blend that and like because I mean I think we look at the Rams and we can fairly I and mean, you can say like they're sometimes they're good and but they, mm. they're not they're clearly the offense clearly is not as good as last year so I'm, I'm just I'm curious like for not not so much like grilling you on on your take of the Rams offensive line but like w- when you study the Rams line from a Football Outsiders PFF you know watching it on on film and mm. tape and all that how do you blend all that together and how do you mesh
1: well this is decent- uh. This is where I'd go with it. I think it's the interior of the line has been really, really bad. Uh, and Andrew Whitworth, I think, has struggled a little bit in pass protection, but he's been good against the run. The same thing is true with Rob Havenstein. So those guys on the outside, and when they're able to get those outside runs going, they've been pretty good. I think you've seen that with that crack toss play that yep. they've brought out a few times that's been able to get Todd Gurley and Malcolm Brown on the edge a little bit. So there, I think that's where the, you know, the adjusted line yards comes from. When they're able to get outside, they've done pretty well with it. And, you know, they're seventh in adjusted line yards this year. But last year, they set the record for football outsiders, adjusted 5, line yards. 5, best Five point four nine. Best ever. Yeah. So going from best ever to seventh in the league is a pretty significant drop off. Yeah. Again, like
0: I'm not to harp on this because I know people are sick about regression talk. But like if the Bears are the seventh best defense, they regressed. Right. Like if the Rams were historically great on their offensive line in terms of run blocking and then become the seventh best run blocker you know that's regression Uh, how much do you is this all the offensive line and what do you make of is, is some of it Todd Gurley and what do you make of Todd Gurley's comments that he seems a little pissed off that he's not getting as many touches as he was last year
1: I, I think it's both. I think the guys on the inside are really struggling. Obviously, two of those guys are new this year. They lost John Sullivan. They lost Roger Saffold. Saffold has been one of the better, you know, run blocking guards in the league this year. Now that he's in Tennessee, obviously Sullivan they let go and they've, uh, you know, replaced him up the middle. I think that those those guys, Nobum, Blythe, Denby, and um, who do they have at center this year? For some reason, it's escaping me. It's uh, um,
0: escaping me too. And I will tell you in. It is uh, Brian, Brian Allen. Brian
1: Allen, yeah. Brian Allen has not been uh very good I don't think in run blocking or pass blocking. Um so a lot of it is that and when you run that
0: 55. Out- <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> when you're running that outside zone, it implies obviously that a lot of it is going to depend on the tackles and tight ends and even the receivers, but you need the guards and centers to wash their guys down past the hole. Or block them off from getting to the hole so you can get those cutbacks. Like that's, you know, the best thing Todd Gurley does is stick his foot in the ground and get up the field. Same mm-hmm. thing with even Malcolm Brown. And I think that a, a lot of the, the struggles there are from the, the struggles of the interior of the offensive line, you know, as far as Gurley goes, I don't think he looks like necessarily the same guy that we saw last year or the year before. Um, although McVay did come out last week and say he wanted to get him 25 touches a game again. And then they came out and gave him the ball, I think like on five runs. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. so. I think you're going to see them try to at least get their running game going this week, whether that's Gurley, whether that's Brown, whether that means mixing in Daryl Henderson a little bit, who was really just not played at all after they sort of hyped him up as an Alvin Kamara type throughout the offseason. Um, yeah, no, pour one out, by the way, for, uh, for teams uh, hyping rookie running backs as Alvin Kamara types and then just not giving them the ball. Uh-huh. I do, I
0: do think though, that Daryl Henderson is a guy that I would cuz remember Alvin Kamara through four games was not I mean he was he was he had a one good game through four games his rookie season and then they traded away Adrian Peterson and he exploded. Like I kind of feel like at some point Daryl Henderson's going to be unleashed. But if he were playing on the Titans I would be like this guy sucks. What what is he even doing there? You know it's
1: only cuz it's McVay. Yeah I would say like Kamara was at least getting the ball through those first three weeks. He wasn't doing a ton with it, but I mean, his fewest touches in the first three weeks of the season was five. I think that I don't think Henderson has played more than five snaps in a game. No, Henderson's so. update
0: was like, Henderson's fantasy update was like, Henderson plays special teams. It's like, ah, yeah, like Camara had, uh, seven, one, two, and five rushing attempts, but then had four, three, three, and 10 receiving targets. And it was that, uh, week four game. I guess, is that where they trade? Did they trade Adrian Peterson after three weeks? They're one and two. They beat Carolina. They trade AP and then he, he Kamara gets 10 catches. Yeah. Cause it, yeah. And then like the next two weeks, their offense explodes and Kamara won everybody fantasy
1: leagues. Yada, yada, yada.
0: Anyway, anyway, we're not talking about Camara. Carry on.
1: Yeah. Um, so and I, I do think that they're going to try to get their run game going just so they take some pressure off of goff from having to be sort of a straight drop back passer. And I think that, you know, we've seen, and like we've talked about this multiple times before, the actual effectiveness of your running game doesn't necessarily have as strong of a correlation to the effectiveness of your play-action game as teams seem to think. But I'm i I think that that may not be quite as true uh, for the Rams as it is for other teams, just because of how much of their offense is based on faking those stretch plays that uh that forms so much of the basis of their running game. You can't really do the play action of that crack toss that they've been using. Like once the ball comes out of Goff's hands and is floating back toward the running back, you know it's not a play action. You know, right. you gotta be able to fake that outside zone run in a in a different way than than with the toss. So they they've not been good on play action so far this season. Goff is 29 of 49 on play action. He's been picked off three times without throwing a touchdown. They nice. really need to figure out a way to get that game going.
0: Uh, alright, let's talk about what we think will happen. Uh, what is your projected score, uh, for this game? And then we'll discuss the over-under and in the, and the point total or the, the spread. I had, uh, Seahawks 26, Rams 24. <laughs> Are you sure you're not looking at these? Yes. I, mean, I believe you. Like, I don't think you look at the Vegas total. Cause the total is 49 and the Seahawks <laughs> are minus one or minus one and a half, depending on where you're looking. Uh, one and a half locally for me juice, which we just probably, it either came, it's probably going to go to two at some point. Uh, it was Rams minus two and a half when it opened and it quickly moved to, to Seahawks being favored. Um, I just have a hard time, dudes, betting against Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll at home.
1: Yeah. And I have a, I have a it's- hard time betting on Jared Goff on the road too. Yeah,
0: fifteen, three, and one against the spread for Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson since Pete Carroll or for Pete Carroll since he took over in home primetime games. That's a ridiculous number.
1: That is good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, a lot of those they had, you know, the the Legion of Boom and all that. Uh, but they, but Russell just gets up to play these games at home in primetime. Russell, I know this sounds stupid, like it's like a Derek Jeter clutch thing, but Russell is clutch in these games. Uh, what would you think about his over under two hundred and fifty eight? 0.5 passing yards.
1: I think I would go over there. I kind of like this to be a game where the, the teams gain a bunch of yards, you know, 50 points that I projected total. That seems like they're going to need to be moving the ball up and down the field pretty well. So, uh, yeah, I would go over there. Uh, I also see on my local that uh, you could bet the
0: over on Jared Goff touchdown passes one and a half and the over on Russell Wilson touchdown passes one and a half. Uh, both are juiced to like minus 125. So not cheap. But, I mean, do you just need two passing touchdowns? you like the over or under there?
1: Um, I think both of these teams like to run in the red zone. So I have a hard time necessarily buying that they're each going to throw more than one touchdown pass. I think even if we get, you know, four or five touchdowns, I think it's pretty likely that at least two of those are going to be on the ground. Okay. All
0: right. All right. Interesting. All right. Maybe I'll back off then. I was kind of eyeing that one, hoping it wouldn't move up. Uh, over under Chris Carson rushing yards, 68 and a half.
1: I think I like that over there too. I think they got something going on the ground last week. They're gonna give him the ball. His season low in rushes is 15 in four games. And, uh, I like him to average, you know, more than four yards a carry. So I think that's a, that's a pretty good bet there. Uh, what
0: about Todd Gurley? Over under combined rushing and receiving yards, 79 and a half. Or if that's too much of a brain twister for you, over under rushing yards, 57 and a half.
1: I don't know that I could convince myself to go with the over on Gurley. Um, it just seems like they're, they're struggling to block. He is struggling to break big plays. I would rather be like, you know, Todd Gurley will get in the end zone rather than take, uh, anything having to do with his yards.
0: Okay. Well, uh, let's see. Rushing TDs at least. I don't know if I have that on here. They actually, uh, I'm allowed to like customize this. Like, you can, like, create your own prop, which is kind of cool. So, oh, here we go. Rushing TDs, at least one for Todd Gurley, minus 125. That is not a bad price. Like, yeah. he just, has, you win if he has one. It's not over under one. It's, it's at least one.
1: Yeah, bad. I like that. I would say, like, if you could do Gurley and Carson both score a touchdown, I feel like that would be pretty good.
0: Uh, let's see, Gurley. Oh, you're saying each, to, each to score? That would probably be pretty good value. You could parlay that in theory. Uh, Carson to score at least one rushing touchdown is also minus 125.
1: Yeah, cause he was running really well last week and, um, he just, he got a touchdown taken off the board and then, uh, was taken out cause he had run the ball like four plays in a row. So he was tired. And then Rashad Penny, or not Rashad Penny, CJ Procyce scored from like, you know, 11 yards out on um, literally the next play. I think they're going to want to get him in the end zone this week.
0: All right. So you could, uh in theory, you could do uh, a parlay of uh, Chris Carson for one rushing touchdown and Todd Gurley for one rushing touchdown. And it pays
1: uh two and a half 2.2 2. 2 to one,
0: which is not, that's not bad.
1: You know, like, it, by the way, this is why I don't bet because I come up with weird rationalizations like that. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely texting my friends and be like, well, Hey, this is what we're betting. They're be like, you're telling me you have a multiple prop rushing touchdown parlay that you want us to do tonight. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Let's go. I love it. I love it. Um, we had a over under a three way prop on over under total bases with Trey Turner, um, uh, Howie Kendrick and, um, uh, Juan Soto. And we missed the we missed it by one Howie Kendrick base, unfortunately. Would have paid out like ten to one or something like that. Um, this so is why
1: you should uh, only watch Yankee games? Boo!
0: Get out of here with that crap. Uh, all right. So reminder: Dubin's got. Um, and by the way, Todd Gurley. Will Todd Gurley score uh, at the Westgate? Is plus one ten? Yes. Minus one thirty? No. So uh, oh, Dubin plus so like one ten is good. Yeah, especially because you're. It's not just a rush; it's a receiving. Yeah, you, I like I'm, that. Yeah, I would take plus I would take that for sure. That's probably and, uh, a sign
1: that it's not gonna happen though, the fact that I like it so much.
0: Yeah, Seahawks Seahawks rush defense is not that great though. Seahawks defense is not that great. They're just not
1: Yeah, I mean I I think that the the Rams are gonna surprisingly be able to move the ball. I don't know that I trust Jared Goff necessarily, but uh it seems like they should be able to move it, you know, especially their receiver like Brandon Cooks just has such a speed advantage uh, against those corners on Mm. the outside. Cooper cup is like so much better. Like I think Jamar Taylor has played something like 40 snaps all season. There's the, the the Seahawks slot corner. They've been, they've been guarding the slot with safeties and linebackers. You cannot do that against Cooper cup. They're going to have to actually use Jamar Taylor this week. And I don't think he's up to the task against cup. All right. Dubin's got it. Seahawks
0: covering and the 26 to 23.
1: Uh, twenty six, twenty four. So the
0: over, barely. Alright, I'm with you. I think I like the over. That's a high over for a Thursday night game. It stinks out loud. People are gonna to want to take the under. Alright, dudes, uh, awesome stuff. As always, we'll talk to you on, uh, Monday, buddy. Sounds good. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full
1: match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition